You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Hello, and welcome to another Lozano Smith podcast. I'm your host, Sloan Simmons. I'm joined today, very lucky to be joined today by two of our fantastic special education student and other practice area attorneys. One, Kendra Tovey, here out of our Sacramento office, one of our senior counsel, great SPED attorney, great student attorney, and a dabbler in other areas as well. And Amanda Cordova out of our LA and San Diego offices, longtime experts, special education practitioner and student in other areas too. Thank you for being with me today, you two. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. So the subject of our discussion today is good old independent study, but with that special education angle interacting with it. So Kendra, to start, let's just, the, the number one question, can students of IEPs participate in independent study? Yeah, students with IEPs can absolutely participate in an independent study. And uh, following the school closures uh, during the pandemic, we saw an increased need for all students to participate in home-based learning. And as distance learning faded out and independent study uh, moved to the forefront in the 21-22 school year, the law changed to clarify that So long as the IEP provides for independent study, a student with a disability who has an IEP can participate in that program, similar to their non-disabled peers. You're making me think, Kendra, and it's an important reminder for our listeners, when COVID hit and we went into distance learning, there were significant additions, rewrites, modifications to the longstanding independent study statutes. And then once school closures closed down, we're then kind of juggling or walking through this new new land of independent study. And it seems, and I'd ask this to both of you, it seems like as a result of the pandemic, the nature, use, viability of independent study programs have become more robust, more diversified. Is that, a, a, you think that's a correct assumption? Yeah, I think on both sides, I think we saw districts, you know, beef up their independent study programs to serve more students in the home. Then we also saw families have their students at home, see what they're learning, participating in independent study, and desiring to have their students learning at home more. And so we saw the legislature at the initial shutdowns in 2020, we had this new distance learning concept that no one had ever heard of before, and it, it just came out on the fly. And then as we moved into 21-22, distance learning went completely away. That word doesn't exist anymore. And we went back to independent study, but the legislature made a huge overhaul of what independent study looks like and what the requirements are to ensure that students aren't just sitting at home fending for themselves. Um, We saw the addition of synchronous instruction through virtual platforms. We saw the addition of... um, uh, daily, daily or weekly interaction between staff and students when those students are at home so that students that were participating in independent study didn't fall through the cracks and just sit at home with no support. That's great context. Thank you, Kendra. Amanda, so you have an IEP team. A uh, family has requested that their child uh, participate in independent study. How, do, how does the IEP team respond to that? Yeah, so independent study is considered a change in placement 
and a student's IEP must provide for participation in independent study before the student can begin participating in independent study. So if we have a student or a family of a student with an IEP that's requesting independent study, the IEP team must convene an IEP meeting and make an individualized determination for that student regarding whether the student can receive a free appropriate public education of FAPE and make satisfactory progress under their IEP through independent study. So this is an individualized determination for the student. It's not based on the student's disability. Last summer, through Assembly Bill 181, the independent study provisions in the Education Code were amended to include a few factors that can't preclude the IEP team from determining that the student can receive FAPE through independent study. So these are things that if they exist, they can't preclude the student from participating in independent study. So a student's inability to work independently, a student's need for adult support, and the student's need for special education and related services. So if a student is unable to work independently, they can still participate in independent study if there are services and supports that we can provide that student to make it so that they can participate. Really, the inquiry is focusing on whether the student can be provided a FAPE and make satisfactory progress, including the provision of special education and related services, which could include adult assistance for the student, additional related services, or support as appropriate for the student. And this really is a really fact-specific determination and will depend on the individual needs of the student. Overarching any discussion of placement and the continuum of placement options for special education students is whether the placement is the least restrictive environment. And really, least restrictive environment is this idea that to the maximum extent appropriate children with disabilities are to be educated with students without disabilities in the regular education setting and that we should not be removing students with disabilities from the regular education setting unless the nature or severity of the child's disability requires that. So the concern for a lot of students with disabilities, given the nature of independent study where peer and adult interaction is often much more limited than in-person instruction, is that independent study is not going to be the least restrictive environment for students. So our teams need to be having those discussions in determining whether a student can receive a FAPE in independent study or not. Some, I guess some considerations that I've seen come up at IEP teams in determining whether it's appropriate or not is if the student did not meet attendance or participation requirements for independent study or distance learning in the past, and there's no additional supports to get, that can be put in place to improve attendance and participation. That might be a student where independent study wouldn't be appropriate. Um, if the student didn't make progress on goals while on independent study or distance learning in the past, and there's no additional supports that can be put in place to improve progress, independent study might not be appropriate. If the student requires social interactions to make progress, and those interactions can't be replicated um, in the same way in the independent study environment. Again, another reason that it might not be appropriate. 
And then another one that I'm seeing a lot of districts struggle with is when a student requires a program that's focused on functional skills and community-based learning, and those skills can't necessarily be taught by a teacher through independent study if they need to be having field trips out in the community with um, their teachers and supports. If they have social skills, daily living skills, those can be more difficult to teach a child through independent study. So Amanda, two, two follow-ups. One question and then one maybe statement slash question for you two. So let's assume the IEP team decides that in fact a FAPE can be provided through an IEP. We are what that then lends to what occurring to the IEP document itself. Yeah. So if the IEP determines that a student can receive a FAPE in independent study, then the school district would amend the student's IEP to provide for FAPE in an independent study placement. So the district's offer of FAPE would become independent study. And then because we're talking about a change to the IEP, the district would need the parent to consent to the IEP amendment along with our independent study agreements that's required for all students before the student can begin long-term independent study. I think it's also important that IEP teams know and understand that simply changing the placement on an IEP isn't the end of the amendment to the IEP. We can't change an otherwise in-person program to independent study without looking at, do we need to change the accommodations? Do we need to change the service delivery? Where are those services and supports going to be provided and who's going to be providing them? We have to also keep in mind that we can't put the burden on the parent in the home to be providing special education services or implementing accommodations. So the conversation is broader than just, okay, we changed the placement in the IEP. We have to go back to every component of the IEP and make sure that it's appropriately amended to provide for FAPE in the independent study placement. So before we move forward, one thing that jumps out to me that I'm thinking of when in discussing the least restrictive environment component, this this reminds me of the EE versus California Department of Ed case that we had, right, in the last couple of years that eventually settled, where plaintiffs brought claims under 504 and ADA, insisting on, in essence, greater access to an independent study or virtual instruction platform and alleging a denial of their rights and discrimination under ADA and 504 for not having that. But it, it's it, if I'm remembering the briefing and arguments, you know, one of the central issues was it that to do so might very well have been violating the LRE component of these students who had parallel rights under the IDEA. Am I remembering that right? And did that case in its settlement potentially have some of the impacts on the legislation that was passed last year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought the EE arguments were really interesting because essentially the, the plaintiffs in that case were arguing that districts should provide students with disabilities with less than a FAPE because the standard for 504 and ADA and that equal access is actually a lower threshold than the standard for providing a FAPE to students. And so they're coming to the court and saying, force this district to violate my students' IEP to provide them with equal access. Whereas districts are arguing, if independent study is not the least restrictive environment where that IEP can be implemented to provide a FAPE, we cannot provide that equal access, and it's not a violation of 504 because your IDEA rights are actually heightened. So the issue end up being then it's a prior written notice of extreme clarity as to the 
potential inadequacy of the the, the independent study placement vis-a-vis the LRE, and then if parents consent, even though recognizing, I know that I would assume you guys would be very cautious on going that road because of a parent's ultimate and eventual change of mind and saying, well, no, no, I, now I don't like that placement. Is that kind of the some of the concerns that come into play? Yeah, it, it falls right back on that individualized determination that's required by the IDEA. We can't say that all students with disabilities can receive a FAPE in independent study, just in the same way that we can't say that all students with IEPs can receive a FAPE in a general education setting. It's an individualized determination. And what the plaintiffs in EE were essentially arguing is because of the pandemic, other students are allowed to participate in a home-based program and not be exposed to the virus by going to school. But my student who has a disability is not allowed to participate in home-based learning because of their disability, they have to come to school and be exposed to this virus. And so it's a really interesting argument because you're balancing two really difficult standards. Um, But to answer your previous question, yes, I, I, I do think that that was the catalyst to the big changes and overhaul in the independent study portions of the ed code. Amanda, I have another question for Kendra, but anything to add on that subject before we move on? Yeah, those three factors that I mentioned earlier, the student's inability to work independently, the student's need for adult support, and the student's need for special education and related services, those factors came directly out of the EE litigation. Got it. Kendra, so we have a student who we've decided we can provide a FAPE to in the independent study context. How do districts go about them providing special ed and related services to students who are participating in independent study under their IEP? So this is going right back to what Amanda had talked about, that IEP team's job to decide. Once we've decided that that student can make progress on their goals, they can access their education, they can receive a FAPE, they need to walk back to the accommodations, the services, the other supports to decide how are those going to be delivered. And one positive of the pandemic is that it brought about increased telehealth services by our providers. It um, made us all become more familiar with Zoom platforms and other um, teleconferencing platforms that gives us that kind of window into a student's home to be able to provide those services in the home. So services can be provided virtually. Things like uh, speech and language, occupational therapy, adaptive PE, all those things are provided via telehealth. But the team does still have to consider whether that student can receive those services appropriately in a virtual platform. For example, if you have a student who's visually impaired, they're going to have a difficult time receiving virtual services at home in the Zoom platform. And so one thing that teams can look back on is that distance learning. Were those students able to access distance learning successfully and make progress when they were forced to do that? Because we've really all had a small taste of that difficulty during that time. Um, If a student can't access virtual or telehealth services, that doesn't mean they can't participate in independent study. There's an option that we could bring them onto campus for an hour or two a day and provide them with their special education and related service on campus and then send them back home to do the rest of their day in independent study. Um, We have clinic-based services. We have NPA providers that go into homes these days. So there's a lot of different options, and all of these things are individualized determinations for the IEP team, and of course, based on district resources. 
not all districts have an abundance of non-public agencies around them. Some of our Northern California clients are very limited in that way. And so coming to campus to receive those services from that provider within the district may be the best option. Um, but all of these things have to be factored in to, of course, consider transportation and other, other items. But ultimately, it's an IUP team decision as to how those services can be delivered. So Amanda, and I understand this to be maybe a, a trickier concept, are districts obligated to provide in-home supports and services such as paraeducators, other in-home services, to students participating in independent study on their IEP? So I'm going to give the lawyer answer of it depends. Um, you know, it, it really is an individualized determination for each student. There's a lot of things to consider here, including whether the student requires the in-home supports and or services to receive a FAPE, whether adding, you know, an in-home aid and all services in-home, essentially creating an in-home program for the student and having them away from any interaction from peers, if that's going to constitute a FAPE for the child. And then also from an equal access perspective of whether creating an in-home program or providing in-home supports and services for independent study would be fundamentally altering the nature of independent study such that we're no longer talking about reasonable accommodations under the equal access. And it's, it's something more than that. So for this question, if we're talking about whether we need to be providing in-home supports and services, we recommend that you, you know, engage in, with legal counsel on this issue for individual students. Yeah, I think it's important to note that when we start pushing all the student services in-home, putting a paraeducator in the home all day, putting the specialized academic instruction provider, the related service providers in the home, we're we're going between what is otherwise a very, on the end of the spectrum of a less restrictive environment because it's general education participation in independent study to the other end of the spectrum of the most restrictive environment, which is a home placement where we are providing those types of services because the student cannot leave the home. And so looking back at how we would provide those services to a student, if we have a least restrictive environment question for that student of how they might interact with non-disabled peers, we might be offering some type of hybrid program where they're doing most of their day participating at home with independent study, but for the portions of the day that they do need that adult support, maybe we are bringing them on campus and allowing them to participate with their non-disabled peers. But as Amanda said, it's it's always an individualized determination and there's no black and white answer on that question. A uh, random anecdotal question before we, before we close out. Uh, we, are we seeing an increase and requests for independent study in the special ed context, or would we say it's maybe same numbers as pre-pandemic, but we now have a different schematic and range of considerations to take account of? I think there's definitely been an overall increase of students wanting to participate in independent study. And I don't know if it's the changes in the law or just the simple fact that parents got accustomed to their kids being educated at home. Very cool. You two are awesome. This is a great discussion. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Lozano Smith podcast today. We encourage you to visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com forward slash podcast to find links and additional details 
on some of the topics we discussed today and others too. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Kendra. Thank you. Thanks, Juan. All right, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Bye. any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard.